This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And my name is Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Today, we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about the psychology of healing. We're going to talk about consciously creating a healthy relationship with yourself and with others. And we're going to do that with Dr. Nicole LaPera. Dr. Nicole, thanks for being here. Thank you both for having me. Oh, my gosh. So talk to me about the holistic psychologist. How did you how did you get into this line of work? <laughs> I evolved into this line of work, I think, <laughs> is the simplest uh, answer, Joshua, to that question. Um, clinically, uh, I'm a trained psychologist, so I had the practice for several years. On the human side of things, I very much relate to a word that came up in that practice quite often, which is stuck. Um, this idea mm. of, I mean, at least I fancied myself being self-aware, having a bit of insight. Obviously, I went to a whole lot of academic training on how to understand our emotional world in particular and make sense. And obviously, I employed myself as being the helper and the individual in the room, mm -hmm. um, helping people break out, manage symptoms, really heal. And several years into my into my career, I realized that I wasn't so great at doing that. Mm. Um, I realized, again, like I said, a, a really big pattern of stuckness, mm. um, a lot of difficulty with change, with helping individuals change and also if i was being perfectly honest with changing myself mm. so it really took i think a breaking down of the way i'd been thinking for a very long time in terms of the human you know being trained in the mind of the human really mm. just looking at that as a separate entity and so the holistic psychologist really is an evolution of really embracing the what i believe is the interconnected nature that mm. makes us each human um, the mind, yes, the body that the mind is, you know, connected to and communicating with throughout the day. And I'm of the belief that there's another entity, a soul, that mm. kind of indescribable thing that makes us us. And so what the holistic psychologist is for me is really a, a tool and a platform to begin to speak these truths and talk about, again, the universal epidemic of stuckness mm. and to hopefully provide some tools to begin to actually create change. Mm. You have a book that's coming out. You can pre-order it right now. In fact, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called How to Do the Work. Let's talk about this a little bit because uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch upon this subject here. So, so the subtitle is Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from the Past, and Create Yourself. And I saw that you believe that trauma is at the root of our current mental health crisis. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the stuckness that I'm referring to, to a large extent, is is very much trauma-based for a lot of us. I believe that for a very long time, while in the 90s, we did some research and we came to to develop this scale. It's called the ACEs scale, which really just means, you know, the big bad things that happened to us that many of us conceptualize as trauma, the abuse and neglect. Finally, in the 80s, we came to the conclusion after studying this that there are some long-term effects. 
what I've come to find in my own personal and professional experience is that that definition of trauma is, is far more pervasive. Mm. Um, you know, it, a lot of us have things that happen to us early on, typically in life, where we carry woundings, we carry adaptations, essentially the way we've dealt with all of this pain. And we become very patterned and very habitual as creatures. So that stuckness that I was talking about comes from that deeper programming. A lot of times, like I was saying, wrapped up around these wounds that I believe each of us you know, do suffer mm. as individuals. Um, and so what the book now has become, the Instagram is where I show up every day and I talk about the journey of healing and I put out the content and the free tools. So pretty much for anyone um, can begin to uh, meet this information, understand maybe themselves a little bit differently, a little bit deeper, and do the work. The book now is the final place where I'm so excited because it's start to finish, essentially the whole conceptualization of holistic psychology, like I said, what makes us stuck, what keeps us stuck, and how we can create change. Let's talk a bit about that trauma, uh, that idea of trauma, because it's it's something that, um, as you said, we we've we understood it to be one thing as we've you know over the last forty years or so, but it, it seems to me that like we talk about it in terms of repressing trauma or carrying it with us. Um, what what where, how do we? How do we unpack our trauma? Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the biggest way we unpack, because a question I get a lot, let's talk about trauma, right? A lot of times when we think of trauma, what most of us think of is, right, the memory. I know this thing happened. I can map it back. It caused this pain in my life. We might even know what we did to try and cope or to feel better. Um, that, I think, is what comes top of mind. And the reason why I talk about an expanded definition, just to share my personal side of things, is I don't rank very high on that scale. I didn't have those big glaring kind of things that happened that I know caused me pain. Mm. Um, And so for me, I was a bit confused because I was seeing still a lot of the same coping adaptations, a lot of the same tools um, that didn't necessarily serve me. I have a pattern of dissociating, of distancing myself. So the reason why I talk about this is I was confused. I felt like something must be wrong uh, because I was, again, like I said, struggling in the same ways that I was seeing people struggle that had these things. So Mm. the reason why I describe that is some of us don't have either the experiences of those traumas that happen, and some of us don't have very much memory about past things that happen. And Mm. I very much fall into that latter category. If you were to ask me about my childhood, I would have a very limited sense of what happened or what didn't. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't because it was so catastrophically bad, and I think that's what a lot of us think of, that I shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just, there was a a slight overwhelm that was kind of consistently there that for a child, it felt too much. So I Mm -hmm. bring that up because when I'm asked about trauma, and those of us who don't have those memories, who can't pinpoint, oh, that thing happened and that carried some consequences, the way we can unpack our trauma to simply answer the question is to learn how to witness ourselves in our day-to-day life mm. and how to do so consciously. Because everything that we're talking about right now, the trauma, the way we cope with it, is housed in a part of our brain or in our mind that is called the subconscious. It's that autopilot that I think by now many of us are familiar with. I don't sure. think about life and I'm kind of going through the motions. Hmm. That it's from which that autopilot kind of is, is running that we remain stuck in those motions because those motions are very patterned. So the way we unpack our trauma 
is we teach ourselves how to become conscious to how we're showing up in the world with my belief in theory that our patterns are visible, that everything I'm talking about, all of these ways we've learned to cope, all of these habits that aren't serving us mm -hmm. become visible to us when we're no longer operating from that subconscious. So we can unpack our trauma in real time mm. by witnessing the effects of it in real time. We've got some audience questions here. I was hoping maybe you could help us answer a few questions. Love to. Diana in Savannah, Georgia has a question for us. I have made a few lifestyle changes that have really helped me mentally, emotionally, and physically, but I still find myself having what I call bad mental health days where I start questioning my abilities and lose hope of myself. I feel stuck and it gets really hard to get out of that pessimistic mentality. I was wondering if you guys have days like that, and if you do, how do you deal with them? How do you get out of your own head and find the motivation and positivity to keep pushing forward? Nicole, let's talk to Diana about... First, I hear this value judgment right at the beginning. I have these bad mental health days, mm. which presupposes there are good mental health days and bad mental health days. I suspect you don't look at it that way. I actually urge and suggest us all to redevelop a new habit of not passing judgment, period. Okay. Getting rid of good, bad, should, shouldn't, another judgment we mm. love uh, to cast upon ourselves. So, yes, simple answer. Be as objective as possible. Things mm. are as they are. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so what, what do you tell someone like if, if Diana were to come to you and and talk to you about the pessimism that she's feeling these uh, these bad mental health days? Uh, what, how would you try to help her unpack this? So peeling back the layer and we'll call it distress, right? There's distress. I'm having a distressing day, a stressful day, not bad. Mm -hmm. The first thing I would offer is it's normal. Yeah. Right? I, I think a lot of us think, and I think probably I was this person at one time, we have some expectation of one feeling state forevermore. And we, we just, that isn't what human is. Human, we have a, a breadth of feelings, the positive, lack, for lack of a better word, end of the spectrum, and negative. So uh -huh. there's fluctuation. We need to learn how to have a stressful thing happen, metabolize the stress, become stressed in our bodies, if you will, and then return to baseline. So the first offering I would make is that variation in our human experiences around our emotions mm. is normal. So any of us that are thinking we're going to avoid the more distressing side of emotions isn't the case. With that said, we can really begin to understand the role we're playing in terms of our emotional world. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, if you are someone, so Diana, right, maybe I know that I ruminate. Maybe I can see that first negative train of thinking, oh, today's a no good, very bad day, then I just keep repeating that mm. throughout the day. The longer you repeat, for lack of a better word, again, a negative thought, the, the more chances that you're going to have a body reaction. Mm -hmm. So we want to pay attention to how much attention we're paying to our thinking minds. Because yep. a lot of us continue to color our experiences with the negativity. I could be that person. I wake up, I have one negative thought, and if I'm not careful, I continue down a snowplow of negative thoughts. And before I know it, by 12 p.m., I feel negative. So right. becoming aware, mm. um, and we can't stop our thoughts. That's something I want to offer right here, right now. I think right. this is a good teaching moment. So don't beat ourselves up about the thoughts that you're witnessing in our mind. We want to learn how to give them less attention, meaning we can't shut them off. We all wish we could. Right. When that first thought comes, so if it is a, a negative thought, if you will, we want to practice removing our attention. Mm -hmm. And the best place to put our attention to kind of piggyback what we were just talking about, consciousness, is in the current moment. 
so we can use our senses. What am I seeing, touching, tasting, feeling? Can I focus on what I'm feeling in this moment instead of my maybe negative-based thought patterns? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, one time I missed this phone call with a man that I had set up a specific time to talk to him. Uh, I was like two hours late to it, and I felt so horrible and i was talking to him and he could tell he's like dude you're really stressing out about this aren't you and i'm like yeah man like this is something that shows up in my life and uh yeah like i made this commitment to you i feel really bad that i broke it and he was like if you want to uh earn my forgiveness he's like i want you to be kind to yourself about this he's like that is that is uh, uh how you can be forgiven by me but it was the best advice that I ever got because now when I find myself having these bad days, which I do, I have a lot of them, uh, instead of getting caught in that spiral of self doubt or that self judgment, um, I try to talk to myself a little bit kinder. Even if I screw up something, instead of beating myself up, it's a matter of like, okay, what can I learn from this? How can I, how can I be kind to myself through this negative emotion? Uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever had. What do you think about like, physical activities when someone is feeling down for me i know like sometimes just going on a walk will help me feel a little bit better getting out in the sun um exercising like if i can just get on uh, i have an exercise bike if i could get on there for like 20 minutes i know that i feel so much different afterwards these aren't like miracle cures but they are uh they, they help they definitely help but does does that play a role at all with with these bad days 100%. I mean, part of holistic is acknowledging the connection between the mind and the body. Mm. So just as much as we're all talking about, right, my thoughts, and I think most listeners have that experience. I think a stressful thought. My body starts to release stress hormones. Mm. My heart rate might start to increase. I might tense. My body is sending messages to my mind. Mm. So for some of us, and this is where it's really individualized, which is why you'd never hear me proclaim universally, everyone do this when we're sad or this when we're angry, because mm. we all are different energetically. Yeah. A lot of us, though, movement, even gentle, gentle stretching, just moving. We have energies yeah. coursing through our body at, at all times, breathing, yeah. walking. It doesn't have to be something strenuous. Um, I, I know a lot of us are compromised physically. However, discharging our energy physically can go a long way mm. to calm our body. Mm -hmm. And then the signal that our, the message, our mind will begin to get is, one that's somewhat calmer mm. than that agitated energy. So I'm like you, I've learned very begrudgingly so, <laughs> that especially when I'm what I label as agitated, and that's gonna be different for everyone else, but what I've come to know my body is in agitation. Mm. Unfortunately, I have to get and take the walk, do the movement. It's might be the last thing I wanna do. Um, but again, I just wanna reiterate, it's very individualized. This isn't me saying everyone go out and have a run when you're upset because someone else, um, that might not help their energy feel um, more balanced. That's yeah. what most of us are looking for, the discharge of energy that's agitated yeah. and allowing us to return back to balance. I love that idea of the discharging of energy because with Diana here, it sounds like she's looking for a way to fix these days. And there isn't, there is no fix. It is a matter of how are you dealing with these symptoms? How are you letting it pass through you, so to speak, this energy? Um, instead of looking for a way to block it, it's uh, Diana, maybe you want to ask yourself, how can I let this energy flow through me? How can I discharge that energy? I love that too, because you're really highlighting something else, which I get just quickly. A lot of times, a lot of talk about bypassing. Mm. Right. And and this isn't just about think the happy thought, Diana, or anyone listening. Right. Mm -hmm. It is actually, like you said, about releasing it to allow it to go. A lot of us get very good at stuffing it. 
Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. not actually releasing it. So it's not just grab onto the next happy thought and hold on to it until you're happy again. For a <laughs> lot of us, it's find that release for the negative crap yeah. so that I can free up my energy to return to balance to then elevate into the more positive end. So yeah. just to be clear on that, because I know a lot of some of us can listen to that and hear, oh, bypassing, don't ever focus. And I, I appreciate that you highlighted the importance of letting the negative be. Yeah. I love what you're saying there. There, there is no fix. There's only change. Right. If I were to make it a, a pithy little <laughs> maxim there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and because we are, and what I love uh, about what you're talking about here, Nicole, is you're not offering the prescription. You know, it's not the seven step plan to be happy, right? Because we've tried all of those and they haven't mm. worked out for us very well, <laughs> right? We, we've tried the steps and momentarily through chasing pleasure or chasing happiness, we've achieved it momentarily. But of course, it's always ephemeral and then we're always let down because, oh wait, I didn't achieve the state of perpetual pleasure. Well, it's because that state doesn't exist. And the problem here is actually the 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 solutions are are turned into the problem like i'm uh, people like diana and myself and most of us we seek out the the fix mm-hmm. right and by seeking out the fix in many cases it actually makes us more discontent doesn't it well diana uh, i'm going to send you well we can't send it to you yet but as soon as it's available i'm going to send you a copy of nicole's book it's called how to do the work we'll send you a copy of that we'll also have a link to it in the show notes for anyone who is interested we have another question here from emily in houston my husband and i are moving to london soon and side note i'm having a fantastic time minimizing our belongings but i'm already stressed by the number of people who are saying they're going to come stay with us I'm an outgoing introvert, so while I enjoy time out of the house with friends and family, my home is my sanctuary. I am fine with immediate family and close friends visiting every now and then, my philosophy being that if I come to visit you, not the city you live in, but you, then you are more than welcome to do the same. The problem is that my in-laws, friends, and extended family, most of whom I have never met, have already begun to invite themselves to use our house as a hotel. They only want to visit because they want a free place to stay in London, not to spend time with us. Not only is this offensive to me, but I won't stand for it. This is not a hotel. It is my home, and I am not a maid. Preparing the guest room and cleaning up after them will always fall on me, and I already have a full-time job. As I said, my home is my sanctuary, and I do not want people who are not extremely close to me or my husband staying in it. So my question is, how do I prevent this from happening without angering my husband's parents or insulting those who are asking. I should mention that their family is Indian and my mother-in-law has told me directly, this is just the way Indians are. I told you to get a one bedroom. How can I find a way to maintain the peaceful life that I need while also maintaining the peace? Nicole, I'm wondering what will you tell Emily here because she knows what she wants and that's a beautiful thing. It's She's not on the fence. What she's worried about and it's causing stress in her life and probably in her marriage as well, is she's worried about offending someone else and there's a certain amount of attachment that she has to that that feeling of I don't want to offend anyone ever do you see that in this at all oh, I see that in this I see that very common I see this in myself in my history with my family I mean this goes deep I'm hearing there's a cultural component uh-huh. um, coming mm-hmm. from a much more what we would call individualistic culture I mean at least her in-laws etc um, I want to answer this in a couple different ways. The first one of the devastating ways first, which Mm. is that (laughs) we can't control what other people 
do the way their their belief systems are right i'm hearing a little bit of i have this conceptualization right if you're close enough and i stay with you my home is open mm -hmm. right a lot of us tend to then project our beliefs or the way we conceptualize the world onto others mm. meaning right we assume that everyone else thinks the same so mm -hmm. why are they you know then asking to stay at my place when it's not reciprocal in my definition mm. so the first answer that i'm going to give is we have to, you know, we, we have to, if we are someone who holds expectations for others, that's the first practice, right? We want to yeah. minimize the amount of times that we're expecting others to view the world as us, to behave as us, to think as us, et cetera. The list goes on. A yeah. lot of us do that. Yes. Um, yeah. That's the first internal work um, because, you know, outside of even this relationship, Emily and anyone else listening, we do that all the time. I do it too. Sure. I project my meanings of words, my belief about what you should do in this moment, Joshua, based on what I should do. So mm -hmm. that's a always practice. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe realizing here that there isn't a should here there isn't either. A should. And, and although it feels that way because I'm so me. I've always, I've only known yep. me, right? Yep. Um, it's the person I've been with my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> and in that, there's a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts that I've defined, you know, mm. either on my own or because I've been acculturated to do so, right? But of course, there isn't a should or shouldn't. The way that your parents want to, want the world to be isn't right or wrong, good or bad. And the way you want the world to be isn't right or wrong, good or bad, right? Yes, yes, I love that. And I'm really happy you you, you, you offered that at this point because uh, that is true. And it's a part of the work as far as I see it, and I hope the, the book How to Do the Work will help, is one of those spiritual or one of the traumas we talked about earlier, I define as a spiritual trauma, and this kind of wraps in here, is not having the space to be authentically expressed. Mm. Having so many of those moments where we did share our beliefs or we just expressed ourselves in the world and we were told some version of should or shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so the goal, I believe, is to learn how to hold space mm -hmm. for not only my belief and expression in the world, but for others to do the same. So as we heal, we are going to meet people, especially from our families, a lot of us, and that's going to be where it gets complicated, mm -hmm. where we do hear these shoulds. So the first goal of the work is, like you're saying, to extricate the judgments Right, to understand that we all have the space to be as we are and to cultivate the ability to let other people have that space. That is not to say that we have to take down what I call boundaries, that we can't have limits, right? So say, yeah. for instance, to answer this question directly, right? Emily can absolutely have a limit of who she is comfortable with staying in her actual home and whom she isn't, mm -hmm. right? And it is absolutely Emily's job, this is where boundaries are an act, action for us to take for us. It's our job to define our limit, which mm. means then communicating, right? Whether it's through her, through the partner, whomever, how it gets communicated, where those limits are, whom I'm comfortable with having in the home and whom I'm not. And this is where I'm segueing over when I said I'm gonna answer the first question, you know, initially, mm. once I deliver the limit and I tell the person, you know, that my what my home is not open at this time or i just i would prefer to keep it to my immediate family the reaction that that other person has unfortunately right is 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 not our responsibility to tend to and this right. is where a lot of us do ourselves a disservice so i am the human who was so concerned about what everyone else around me wanted or needed mm. 
before I even got to the should or shouldn'ts in my mind, and mm. I had a really pivotal moment in my own healing journey where I was asked what I wanted to do in a similar context. I had all these requirements from all these people around me and mm. everyone thinking about what I should do. Mm. And my friend very calmly looked across the table from me wherever we were sitting and said, what do you want to do mm. for this event? Mm. And I didn't even have an answer. So mm. Emily, I want to commend you listening, though it might not feel like you've already kind of done a big portion of the work, the fact that you know what works for you and what doesn't, before we got to the step of communicating it, of course, because mm -hmm. it sounds like that's where she's at, right? Right. That, I want to commend you for that, because mm. I was a human a decade ago who didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted because I never practiced filtering through, well, how does this feel for you, this event? So that's the short of it. And so you were willing to suffer to a great extent because everyone else's expectations were thrust upon you. Of course, you can't meet everyone's expectations. You can't even meet all your Facebook friends' expectations, let alone the world writ large. Yes. Mm. And so you were in a constant state of, of suffering in a way because you could never achieve this thing that you set out to achieve, right? Suffering and exhaustion, mm. endless exhaustion. And then the byproduct of this, and why, which is why I talk about it now and boundaries. And so anyone who's listening and knows our limits, well, first define our limits. What are they? What do they need to be? How can I free, feel freer to be myself in these relationships? Mm -hmm. And then obviously once I put the, them up, you know, dealing with a lot of the feel bad that happened, maybe the very real reactions mm -hmm. um, that happen. Because over time, the more I don't put myself or even tend to my own needs in, in any way, un the unfortunate byproduct does come into my relationships. Because what I tend to yeah. do, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience and patterns I've seen in others, sure. I tend to point my finger at everyone around me, whether or not you're my best friend, whether or not you're my family and we share a last name, mm. whether or not you're my partner who I'm you know, choosing to spend my days with. I'm mad at you Blaming. and you're the problem. Yeah. You're not meeting my needs when really I have mm. to point that finger back around and look at each and every one of those moments where either consciously or unconsciously, I overstepped my own needs for everyone else. So it sounds like Emily's mental health isn't the only thing at stake. It's also her relationship with her husband. Um, I love what you said about boundaries. If So she needs she needs her buy-in. She needs to understand what her boundaries are, but she also, because she lives with her husband, has to understand what his boundaries nice. are. So, uh, Emily, you got to come up with those boundaries with your husband. Um, but ultimately, as long as you two are on the same page, I feel like that's what matters most. You might, you know, uh, peeves a few family members or, or in-laws or, or friends of the family. Um, but ultimately, you know, I always feel like, the people that truly love me and care about me, they're going to support me. And if Emily and her husband approach this in a way of like, hey, look, I know that you love me and it's really important for me to uh, have these boundaries and all I need for you to do to support me on these boundaries. I mean, the people that truly love her and want her to be happy will, will probably end up supporting her. There might be a little bit of a growing pain, um, but, but yeah, I, I think those boundaries are so much more important than just throwing their hands in the air and be like, well, I guess this is my, this is my life now. Yeah, I, I would be careful with the being on the same page thing. I agree with you. I think that it, it's mm -hmm. great if the two of them could be on the same page. If they aren't on the same page, mm. I would say the same thing to Emily that Nicole said a, a moment ago. I wouldn't allow myself to be exhausted or suffer because 
you have to get on the same page as him. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the only person with whom you can be on the same page is yourself mm. to, to a great extent. And then if there's overlap between you and your husband, I think that's that's wonderful. But it, you, you're going to want to have those boundaries. And if you can get him on board, not by shaming or blaming, mm. a, a, as you alluded to a moment ago, but by you know, convincing him through showing the, the benefits of having your own, you know, your own boundaries. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think it's gonna be really useful for your relationship. Now, hopefully Ryan, yeah, I hope that they can be on the same well, page. Well, I think with any relationship, I mean, approaching it, the, the metaphor with what you just kind of said, you're never gonna be on the same page with anyone. I mean, technically, I mean, you are your own person. Uh, maybe they're in the same book. Maybe they can start there. But sure. uh, but really, you know, it's about Emily expressing to her husband, hey, this is what I need for uh, my mental health. Me having good mental health is going to help our relationship. It's going to help me actually get along better with your family. Um, what do you think about that? And he might come from a different direction. Well, here's what I want. I mean, and just like any relationship, there's going to be some sort of compromise and uh, yeah, so I, I totally agree in, in the sense that, yeah, don't stress yourself out if you lay down these boundaries and then your husband and family says, no, we're not going to do that. Um, you know, d- don't don't beat yourself up because they won't do exactly what you're what you're asking them to do. Um, if you do approach it in a way of like a collaboration, you probably could get to a point where both sides are relatively good with how things will go down in the future with people visiting their house. Yeah, I, I would just say that she's not asking her family to do anything. Mm-hmm. She's asking them to not do something. Right. <laughs> and, and don't break into my house, essentially. Right. Uh, and so um, I think that's the nice thing about these boundaries here. And I'm going to leave it with this, Emily. I'm going to send you a copy of, we have something called the Minimalist Rule Book. It's actually not a rule book. We just call it that because everyone's always asking us for definitive prescriptions <laughs> and so we called it 16 rules for living with less but we thought it, about just making it blank <laughs> 400 pages right yeah and, no it's uh the minimalist rule book 16 rules for living with less it's it's free on our website theminimalistscom slash rule book there's also an audiobook version there as well but um what we do at the very beginning we explain how there is actually no rule book <laughs> what we've done is we found some recipes that have worked really well for me and ryan you can adjust those recipes for taste or not use any of the rules at all if you like we're certainly not prescribing anything to you emily but if you want to check that out it's called the minimalist rule book it's over at the minimalists.com slash rule book ryan what time is it you know what time it is it is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages you can text your questions and comments to 937-202 Four six five four. Yes, indeed. Those texts go to both of our phones, and we respond to as many as we can personally. Uh, but also, we respond to some here on the podcast. So, Nicole, maybe you can help us here. We have a question from TJ. What can you do to promote healing in someone other than yourself? I have a pithy mm. answer for you. So what we try to do is we wrap it up in what we call these minimal maxims. Sean puts them in the show notes so we can copy and share our pithy answers on social media. Uh, my, my pithy answer here to TJ, what can I do to promote healing in someone other than myself? I say listening is the best medicine. Mm. I think that's one of the only things we, we can do because, I don't know, this is the prescription thing again. Like what, what, what can I do? How can I force my friend to heal? And it, I, I have trouble with that, but I think I know one thing you can do is listen. You can listen. Can we talk about the power of listening? Yeah, the power of listening. I mean, listening is a practice. That's one way I definitely want to offer as an answer. Um, not a lot of us listen to listen. 
Um, mm. More often than not, and I mean, I'll speak for myself, when I know, when I'm hearing someone speak at me, my mind is constantly making associations. Oh, I don't like what they said. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, absolutely not. It's like this for me. Oh, well, you know what? Actually, it wasn't like this when you said it. It was like, right? So constantly, yeah. I'm now not listening. I'm uh -huh. listening to my own thoughts. Mm. So what Ooh, yeah. listening is a skill. Uh -huh. That means, again, those thoughts are going to happen. They're going to try to color my conversation and learning how, just like we talked about earlier, to remove my attention from the hook of the thoughts that I could go down this rabbit hole and bring it back right. to what's being said. So listening mm. is, that's what we're talking about, right? Expanding, mm -hmm. holding space. Let me actually hear you different human, separate from me and your thoughts without me coloring what I hear you're saying with my own past experience. Mm. Now I'm just hearing a reflection of me right. back. What would you I tell what that. would you tell TJ here? He wants to promote healing in someone other than himself. So my my answer to that and I know it's it's not often the popular one, it's to focus on healing the self. Cuz mm. beautiful things happen. A couple directions this could go. I could heal and if I'm having a lot of times this question is asked in the context of what we perceive as a difficult relationship, mm -hmm. right? I want you to change so I can experience or that we can experience this relationship differently. If I focus on myself, the journey, of course, is not, as we all agree here, mm. not one step shop of self-healing. If I begin to do the work on myself, I experience a relationship differently. The issue that I thought is no longer and or I inspire the other person. This kind of comes back to the question we were talking about last too, right, mm -hmm. with Emily. And if I start to put up boundaries in my relationship and sometimes it only takes a bit of time before the partner looks over and is like oh wow emily's starting to be you know inspired or you know this question whatever friend you want to inspire as you start to shift and transform in your life hmm. that could be one of the most inspirational things that actually might yeah. um, facilitate someone's entry into their own change. But it's nothing we're gonna do or say or demand or threaten, mm. which is I think the tactic a lot of us take to create change. So my answer is always some version of the same, which is focus in, you show up differently, and then change happens without. There's, mm. a, there's a Dale Carnegie quote. Uh, I think it's a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. <laughs> and I think we have to think about that uh, this question in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to convince do they want to heal? If so, then maybe you creating the healing in yourself or or being the 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 paragon of healing for that person. Or just listening to them heal themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're convincing someone, mm. you're not actually healing them. Yeah. Right? I th I think TJ TJ is coming from a very loving spot. They see someone that is hurting and they feel like they should do everything they can to try and fix that person from hurting. I go through this with Melbourne. So Melbourne has a lot of health problems and we could sit here and talk for another half hour about all the health problems he's experienced over the past couple of years. But I, I will see him and just think, man, like my brain starts to search for this answer on what can I tell him to make him feel a little bit better? But really, you know, I think the most important thing we can do or the maybe maybe it's always going to be the right choice, which is showing compassion, which which actually leads into my pithy answer. When in doubt, show compassion. So if all else fails and you have someone who is in pain, if you can show them some compassion, I mean, you can never go wrong doing that, I feel like. I'm really thank you for pointing that out. That is, I think, the deepest. We want to change things around us, typically mm. from a place of discomfort. 
Yeah. I mean, so thank you for honoring that and honoring that aspect of all of us. When we see loved ones, especially the closer the relationship, the more time we spend with them, the closer just they are to us, mm-hmm. of course, is a very natural human part of each of us that does want them to feel better, that does become pained when we see someone else suffering and that might be at a different place of our own healing journeys and have maybe have had incredible success mm. with something that maybe did sound similar, you know, and you've, he- that's a, an avenue a lot of us go down. Oh, mm. your story sounds a lot like mine. This is what worked for me. I'm very well intentioned in those moments. I want you to feel better just like I am. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where we just can't make those assumptions. Not like you said very beautifully, right? Not mm. two people aren't the same. Um, I think that's one of the deepest existential crises, <laughs> if you will, of this human existence is going from what truly believes we believe is a separateness to this more interconnected oneness. Mm. Um, and we keep ourselves separate in a lot of ways. And the reality of it is in a lot of ways we are separate. Mm. We're different, but we can have space for all of us. Yeah. All right, before we get into our listener tips and our added value segment today, it looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. What is the potential of post-traumatic growth? PTG, they're calling this. How does one ever really heal from grief? Can you? If so, how? Is the saying, time heals true? How can we learn to manage or eliminate our innate desire for closure And after forgiving someone for a wrongdoing, is it okay to not reconcile? Plus, we've got a million more questions about healing and trauma for Dr. Nicole LaPera. And if you want to hear all that, subscribe to our Maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a completely separate podcast, and it's the most honest way for the minimalist to earn an income because we don't believe in advertisements. By the way, if you're not a private podcast subscriber, you're literally missing more than half of our show, probably about two-thirds of our show, plus hundreds of hours of past private episodes. So try it out for a week or a month. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Head on over to theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hi guys. Uh, My name's Sally from Victoria, Australia. I wanted to share with you an app I heard about on Dan Harris's 10% Happier podcast. Ironic, I know, but I'm trying to reduce the apps I have on my phone, I swear, but I found this one to be quite meaningful. The app's called We Croak, and for 99 cents, uh, you get a reminder five times a day at random times that you're going to die. I know this sounds a little grim, but it has truly had a really positive impact on my day-to-day life. Overall, I, I would say I've tried to embrace the goal of living my life according to my values, but... On a daily basis, I know I can easily be troubled and distracted by the little things. Being randomly reminded throughout the day that I'm going to die has meant that in the moment I'm not sweating the small stuff as much. I've noticed shifts in my behaviour in small ways, I guess, say getting off Twitter um, more quickly when I find that I'm down that rabbit hole, Uh, putting down a book, say, that I'm not enjoying, um or even like lighting a favourite candle just because, for no reason, and not thinking that I should save it for another day. I don't know why I would do that anyway. Uh, Bigger reflections I've also noticed, such as not caring so much about what people think. I found that I am moving on more quickly from mistakes that I've made. Um, And most importantly to me, it's really emphasised 
on a daily basis, the connections that I have with the people I love and how much I want to um, focus on, on those people. Hi, Ryan and Josh. This is Amanda from Melbourne. About a year ago, after listening to a few of your podcasts, I decided to start decluttering my house. I struggled getting started, though, as the whole task felt too overwhelming. Luckily for me, I had a good friend who was in the same situation and we agreed to join forces. For the last 12 months, my friend Sam and I spent every Friday together, alternating between her house and mine, helping each other work our way through every cupboard, shelf and storage area. Some weeks have been really emotionally stressful. Some have seen us covered from head to toe in dust. But we have donated and thrown away hundreds of kilograms of no longer needed items and have had a lot of fun along the way. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Dr. Nicole LaPera for joining us today. Her forthcoming book is called How to Do the Work. You can pre-order it now. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We're also going to put a link to her Instagram account where millions of people follow her. It's really a community. And and so I'm going to encourage you to follow her over there if you have Instagram or check out her YouTube channel. We'll also put a link to her YouTube channel in the show notes. If you're looking for more information about mental health or healing, I think she is a phenomenal resource. She really strikes me as an enlightened person. And we dive deep in the maximal episode about healing and trauma, but I would also encourage you to check out all of her work on Instagram, YouTube, etc. For added value this week, since we're talking about mental health, Ryan, did you watch the show Euphoria? No. It's on HBO, and it's really a show about teenage mental health. And Ooh. you know how when we were teens, we're all volatile to yeah. the people around us especially. It's a drama, I'm assuming. It is. Okay. Yeah. And, and it really brings out the peer pressure, but modern day peer pressure. So mm. it's a lot of Gen Z teenage kids and it makes me think of Big Mouth on Netflix, right? Which is like I saw an episode of that. Yeah, and it's, it's cartoon. Yeah, cartoons, and it like deals, but it deals with these teenage angst and mental health through through comedy and stuff. But this, this is a lot is, darker than that. Okay. Yeah, okay. but but it's it's a really great show. Zendaya is the main character, um, and she does a phenomenal job. But they just do a great job dealing with modern day, like you bring technology into the anxiety and the discontent. Of course, you bring drugs and sex and and, and all of these sort of Social media. Yeah. Yeah. And not just social media, but social pressure, right? Which is is propagated by social media, but even without social media, dating apps and all of these other things that, that didn't infect our childhood. Think of all the stress and anxiety that we had when we were teenagers in the 90s and and you move that forward to today and it's accelerated. Dude, Phenomenal show. Dude, I was thinking about how grateful I am that we grew up and went to high school without social media. Yes. Um, I feel very lucky actually to like not go through high school with that. But I didn't even think about like the dating app mm. piece of it. Because I mean, just because you're in high school doesn't mean that you don't have access to that. Right. Wow. Well, the show is called Euphoria. You can check it out on HBO. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. We don't have any tour dates on the calendar right now, but you can check out our previous events. If you go to theminimalists.com slash previous, you know, Ryan, we've been on nine tours over the last 10 years. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those events, we have either video or audio for those or photos. You can see photos from past tours as well. It's, it's really fun <laughs> to go it. back. I go back. Yeah, I go back every once in a while. Yeah, well, yeah. especially like 2011, 2012. 
and you can see Ryan's cargo shorts and plaid <laughs> shirts that we would go on tour with, and short hair. Oh my! It was a God. different person. It, the, it, it's the like matching we, white shirts. It's like we switched out the main character during season three, and yeah. no one has noticed yet. That's right. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Actually, that's a really good. Yeah, because you look the same today as you did then, and I'm like, yeah. When I go back, I'm like, oh my God, I used to be so young. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now you're just wise uh, and advanced. I guess, yeah. Uh, TheMinimalists.com slash previous if you want to see previous tour dates. Over there, you can also subscribe for our, to our email list if you want to be notified when we are coming to a city near you. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit TheMinimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you whenever those pop back up. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at TheMinimalists.com. You can comment on this episode, youtube.com slash The Minimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at TheMinimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails whenever we send those. But I can tell you what we won't send you. We'll never send you spam or junk or advertisements or penis pics. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> or your money back. Oh, my God. If you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.